Well, as has been said a number of times already, we are at the end of our series on the book of Galatians. I must say I'm rather sad about that. Uh, Not sad about moving on to the book of Esther, but uh, sad we're moving away from a, a favorite book of mine, the book of Galatians. Go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be concluding with the final uh, verses from verse 11 through verse 18. What I'll do is I'll pray for us and ask the Lord to give us illumination. And then we'll read the text and jump right in. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we simply come before you now to ask that you might give us a wisdom that is heavenly, a knowledge and an understanding that is from above, that we might peer with the eyes of faith into your precious word, that we might know it, receive it with joy, believe it with all of our heart, and even do it. We ask for the strength to accomplish this. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Starting in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace And mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Well, I've recently graduated from going to seminary, and there's many good reasons, really many good things that that has brought into my life, and and maybe the best one is that I no longer have to write long research papers. Uh, I'm sorry if that offends you, Marcus. I I see you here. Um, Every time I would begin a process of writing a new research paper, I always began with a sense of excitement. I would get all of my books. I would Uh, be eager in the topic that I've chosen. I would research long hours, and I would think through my paper and the outline, and I would put it all together, and then I would begin to write, and maybe even with some eagerness toward the beginning. And about 3,000 words in, you become very exhausted. And you get to the point where you think to yourself, I think I'll just take the B, the B minus, the C, the C minus, just... Put something down on the page, just, just get it turned in, and I can go to sleep. And that is so often how I approach things, and I'm very, very happy to say Paul is not the same way as me. No, he ends not by hastily putting down a few more words. No, he, he slows down, and he concludes this uh, wonderful letter with carefulness, 
No, he takes time to bring all that he's been saying to a close, to bring it to mind. And really what he does in this conclusion is he wraps up the argument, the the thesis statement, you might say, of the whole letter. It's that Christ is everything to him. Christ is everything to you and to me. Isn't that really what this letter has been all about? Paul has been reminding us that Jesus Christ is our, our justification. Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf. Jesus Christ is the one who gave us the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus Christ is our hope, our life, our sufficient Savior. And now Paul is simply summing all of that up by saying, I'm not going to boast in anyone or anything else but him. And this point has to be driven home for us often, even as believers. Because I think what Paul is reminding us is that the church is no place for human boasting. No self-boasting. It's not a place for boasting in our own name and in what we do and in what we accomplish and all that we do with our hands, with our mind, and with our words. It's not a place for our glory. It's not a place for our achievements. The church only has one great person. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that we boast in only. So I just have two points for us. The first is the nature of self-boasting. Paul, uh, even though he's concluding, he doesn't hold his punches. He goes right after the false teachers again. The nature of self-boasting. And then secondly, we will see the blessing of boasting in Christ. Let's start with the first point. The nature of self-boasting. Take a look with me at verse 11. Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And we might think for a second, well that sounds a little strange. Paul, haven't you been writing this letter the whole time, and I I hate to be the one to break it to you, but the answer is probably not. Paul is certainly writing it, but he's dictating it most likely. He's telling the words to a helper or someone that is assisting him. If you want to uh, win your next Scrabble game, you can learn the word amanuensis. That is the technical word for someone who writes down what you dictate to them. And he's likely got one of these. And he's been saying these things, and it's being written down in the letter for him. But now Paul says, okay, hold up. Now I'm going to pick up the pen. Now I'm going to write with my own hand. I'm going to sign off on this letter because this letter is important. And he even says, see with what large letters I'm writing with. Don't miss it. Don't pass this letter by. Don't don't read it once and then put it on the shelf. No, read it again. Pass it out. Hand it to the other churches. No one can miss this. It's important. Sometimes I come into the office and I'll open up my email and I'll, I'll be looking through my emails and maybe you have something similar where you'll see an email that sticks out like a sore thumb where the person put in the description 
maybe a, a, a bracket and bold letters where it's underlined and highlighted and, and emphasized in every way. And it says, important, please read, important documents disclosed. Don't p pass this letter up. And Paul is doing something very similar here. He's saying, don't pass this up. I'm writing something important. Well, what's so important, Paul? What, what do you have to tell us? And he says, really, what he's been saying this whole time. Those new preachers that have come into town, those new preachers that you seem to love and be so smitten with in so many ways, they are not good. The Judaizers, they're not faithful shepherds. They're not faithful, caring Bible teachers. He's saying they are bad news. That's what's so important for you to know. Look at what he says in verse 12. He, he gets right back on to attacking them. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. That is, they would force you or compel you or urge you. They're making circumcision, you might say, a barrier of entry. You have to do it. If you don't do it, you are not among true believers in Jesus Christ. If you don't have it, you're truly not among us. And what that does is it supplements the gospel, as Paul has been describing again and again. It adds to the work of Christ. It puts you, even in just a small way, responsible, in charge, contributing in some way to your own salvation. It's almost like a, a badge that you can wear with honor. And Paul says, well, what is their motivation? Well, he gives their motivation. It's to make a good showing in the flesh. That's sort of a, a way to say that they want to look good. It means to look fair-faced, to be beautiful, to be well thought of, to, to be impressive or astounding. He's saying those teachers that have come in, that are insisting on circumcision, what do they really want? They really just want to look good. They really just want to be impressive. They really just want to make a name for themselves. They are concerned with outward things. They're making a good show in the flesh, he says. They're concerned not with inner things like matters of the heart, but they're concerned with those things that can be seen, can be boasted in. And what is motivating their behavior here? Well, he gets a little bit more specific. Look with me at verse 12. He says, And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they, they want to make themselves look good, and they're afraid of persecution. But we might simply ask, who are they afraid of? And the answer is most likely they're afraid of the Jewish people. See, I think sometimes we forget this, that early in the church, the, the great opponent of the gospel wasn't the Romans, per se. That would come, and they would persecute Christians greatly. But very early on, it was many times the Jewish people who persecuted and despised Christians. Just think of, of Stephen in the book of Acts, 
who's martyred before the Sanhedrin. Just think of Saul before he was changed, that he was one dragging Christians to court and and even putting them to death. Just think about all the the narratives described in the book of Acts as the apostles come into town after town. Where are they finding the trouble? It's often in the temple. It's often among the Jewish people. They're the ones handing them over to the Romans. And so what they are afraid of, these Judaizing teachers, these Judaizing Christians, they are afraid of the Jews. And we we might even say it kind of like this. They're afraid in such a way that they want to impress them. They're afraid of them, so they want to be seen like the good guys. They're afraid of them, so they want to be accepted by them, be in their good graces. They want to be well thought of, right? Almost as if to say, there's no big deal over here. Don't, don't worry about what we're doing here in the church. We're circumcised, don't you see? We're just, we're just like you. We're circumcised. Yeah, we may follow Christ and call him the Messiah, but, but in a sense, there's nothing to fear from us. There's nothing to worry about. We're circumcised just like you. And I think it's here that we see that these Judaizing teachers, they don't really have a principled theological argument. Have you ever had a, a theological debate with somebody where, where both of you are Christians and you have a, a difference of opinion and, and at the end of the day you know, well, we're both motivated, we may have a small difference, but we both love Christ and so it's, it's not the biggest deal in the world. He's saying they're not even motivated rightly. They don't have a grand theological argument. No, he's saying they're just afraid. They're afraid of being persecuted. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted by the Jews. They want to run away from persecution. And isn't that so ironic? That these teachers who really are the ones most heavy-handed in the Galatian church, the ones laying down the law, insisting that, that all people do as they, in, as they instruct, they themselves are quite cowardly, aren't they? They're laying down the law, yes, but really they're fearful of persecution. They're fearful of the world around them. Take a look with me at verse 13. Paul just, he just goes and attacks them more and more. He says in verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul's getting even more serious here, isn't he? He's saying that the Judaizers, these false teachers, even though they are heavy-handed about circumcision, they don't actually keep the law of God. Once again, their motives are not pure in teaching this false doctrine. They're not concerned about holiness, for example. No, Paul says their concern is for boasting. They want to boast in your flesh. What does Paul mean by that? Well, I think it boils down to something like this. That to these false teachers, what, what mattered was not seeing true grace and growth in the Christians that they were teaching, but what they cared about was a great number of converts that they could boast in. Right? I've, I've uh, converted many. 
I've brought many Christians to the greater truth of circumcised Christianity. No, what they cared about was not the state of these believers' souls. They were boasting in how many they could get circumcised. And they were proud of their success. Paul says that they want to boast in their fleshly work. And I think Paul is showing us a defining characteristic of self-boasting. It is really and truly concerned with externals over the internal. It's concerned with what can be seen and shown to others and applauded before people over things that are spiritual. It's concerned with circumcision very specifically over freedom in Christ. It's concerned with works over faith. Paul's really saying, these guys have made you into a show-off church. It's a show-off religion that they are preaching. It's all about them. Sum it up. They're not teachers that care about holiness. They don't care about the gospel. They don't care about the righteousness of Christ. They're cowardly boasters. They're afraid of the world. And yet at the same time, they're, they're boasting in all of their works. And as I was studying and thinking about these false teachers that Paul is criticizing so heavily, I couldn't help but think to myself again and again what this reminds me of. It reminds me of the prosperity gospel. It reminds me of prosperity preachers, word of faith preachers, those who, who teach little God's theology and, and name it and claim it kind of theology. In a very similar way, these preachers today neither care about true holiness, the law of God, nor do they care about true grace. They're concerned with worldly things, money and material blessings and, and health and prosperity. Their churches are big, and I'm guessing that their egos are big as well. Now, they don't preach a gospel of radical grace and transformation. They don't preach the, the double cure of the gospel, justification and sanctification and the sweetness of that gospel. No, they preach a lukewarm gospel. One that the world might look at and say, we can put up with that. We're okay with that. That's not so big of a deal. It's a watered-down gospel. It's one that Jesus himself despises. This is the nature Paul is showing us of self-boasting. It's self-concerned, it's self-righteous, and it simply has no place in the church of God. Our second point, more hopeful, the blessing of boasting in Jesus. Look with me at verse 14. Paul says, but far from me, be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an interesting phrase. He's saying, may it never be said of me, may it never be true that I ever, ever boast. Paul's kind of saying, if there's anything I never want to be called, it's a boaster. There's one caveat. There's so one exception to this, unless I'm boasting in the cross. I don't ever want to be somebody who boasts, unless I'm boasting in the cross. And I don't think we realize how 
strange and how shocking that sentence really is. Because to us, we're so far removed from Paul's day. The, the cross is, is a beautiful thing. It's a, a beautiful thing that we see in, in beautiful sanctuaries across uh, the world. We see big stained glass windows and, and beautiful light coming through the cross. We see people wearing the cross. We see people uh, perhaps even tattoo the cross on themselves. To us, the, the cross is a sign of devotion. It's a religious symbol. But it's not so in Paul's day. The cross was a shameful thing. You wouldn't talk about it in polite society. It wasn't civil to speak of the cross. I don't recommend this, kids, but imagine what it would be like at Thanksgiving dinner if you start talking about your favorite torture devices. Your mom's not going to be very happy with you, right? It's, it's not a polite thing, and that's what the cross was. It was a torture device. It was for criminals. It was something people didn't discuss. And what's Paul saying here? I boast. I brag. I glory in the cross. It's his pride. It's his joy. He, he brags about it. And we might ask, why? Because the cross brought him from death to life. The cross is the way to life. Really, when he says he's boasting in the cross, he's really boasting in Jesus himself. He's boasting in Jesus who suffered in his place. He's boasting in Jesus who took his shame for him. He's boasting in Jesus who was his sacrificial lamb. And when he, he sees him, all he thinks is, that's what I deserved. But Jesus took it. That's true humility. It's boasting in the work of another. And it's the complete opposite, isn't it, of the false teachers. It's the complete opposite of what they're doing. Paul is saying to us that he will not boast in his title. As an apostle, he didn't earn it. He's saying, I won't boast in my gifts. All of those gifts, however amazing they may seem at times, they are from Jesus. Paul's saying, I won't boast in my works. They don't merit anything. In fact, they merit hell. Paul will not boast in anything but Jesus, the, the humble Son of God who died on a cross for him. What about us? What are we tempted to boast in, truly. Maybe I could ask it this way. What is the thing you maybe don't talk about, but you wish other people would take notice of? You wish others would see in you, praise in you. Are you intelligent? Are you remarkably smart? Are you hardworking or, or business savvy? Are you wealthy? Do you have a great family that others look at and perhaps even feel a, a tinge of jealousy? Are you a charming person and, man, you're, you're likable and you've got a great personality and people just want to be around you? Are you gifted spiritually and people recognize that and, and want you to, to lead their meetings and to, to do the teaching in the church and so forth? There's so many things we might say to this. These are all wonderful gifts. But Paul is reminding us that they are nothing to boast in. You see, when we look at Christ, when we look through the lens of the cross, what do we see? Everything that we are, everything that we bring to the table, it's unworthy. 
doesn't merit anything. It pales in comparison. I love the way Paul puts it in verse 14. He says, By which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. There's not just one crucifixion, there's three. There's Jesus, and us with Jesus being united to him, and then there's the world crucified to us. Paul is saying we have been crucified to the world, and the world has been cut off from you. Our life is no longer bound up in earthly things. Our joy is no longer bound up in the physical. Our hope is no longer in what we do, in human achievement, in human excellence, in human anything. We have been crucified to the world. Now, and wonderfully so, Jesus is our only boast. But Paul keeps going. Take a look with me at verse 15. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul is now applying the lesson. He's applying the lesson that he's teaching us. He could really use anything to teach this lesson, but he chooses circumcision once again because that's the hot button issue. That's the thing they're so hung over about. What is he saying? Circumcision counts for nothing. It achieves nothing. It's worth nothing. It's just an outward sign that points to a heavenly reality. It's an outward sign that points to the real blessing of God. The sign by itself is nothing. Only the blessing of God is what counts. Only the blessing of God is what matters. And particularly here, he focuses on the blessing of new creation. He says that's the only thing that counts. What does that mean? Well, it means something like this. It's the new creation of Christ. That is, when when Christ went to die on the cross, and when he overcame death itself, that moment in time was so significant, the Bible tells us that he ushered in a whole new creation. In his resurrection, the new has come. The heavenly age began. The blessings of God were poured out for his people. The kingdom had come. And by faith, you are thrust into that kingdom. By faith, you are thrust into that new creation. And you become a new creation yourself with a new identity and new desires with new goals, and of course, a new king. And Paul is really simply just saying, who, having all of that, would ever turn their back and long for earth yet again? It's preposterous. Now that we have Christ to boast in, who among us would ever even consider boasting in ourselves again? Who among us would ever consider boasting in what we once were? Now that we have something so much better, we have King Jesus to boast in. And that's where all of the blessing is found, isn't it? All of it is bound up with him. Take a look with me at verse 16, where he, he brings that to our minds. He says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel 
of God. What are the blessings? Well, it's peace and mercy, he says. It's peace from God, uh, a ceasing of the hostility we have with our God because of our sins. And not only that, but mercy, forgiveness for what we've done. And particularly, he says that this blessing is for the Israel of God, the people of God. And, and Paul is very particular with his language here. This is not a coincidence. Paul is making a great statement. He's saying Gentiles who know Jesus Christ by faith are true Israel. You and I are true Israel by our faith. By being ushered into the new creation with Christ. It is by faith. Only faith. Nothing by nothing but faith. Nothing at all but faith. And whatever else we have, Paul is telling us, is nothing. There's only one way to enter new creation. There's only one way to be among God's people. It is by faith in His Son. What do you have right now? What do you have attached to your name? Do you have obedience attached to your name? Do you have great wisdom and knowledge and depths of understanding? Do you have a thousand sermons checked off your list? A thousand hours in the Word of God? A thousand hours of prayer? Have you wept over your sins and and poured out your tears for the wrong that you have done? None of it is good enough. None of it will cut it in the end. Nothing but true and living faith will get you Jesus. Nothing but real faith will get you the blessing of peace and mercy. So rest in Him. Give up of yourselves. Turn away from what you've done and trust in his sacrifice and he will give you peace and mercy. Paul ends this letter, uh, I think, in a unique way. But I think he's got a point here. Let me see if I can make that understood. Take a look with me at verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. All throughout this letter, Paul has poured his heart out. He's warned them. He's chastised them. He's told them as a loving father to believe the gospel. Reject this false gospel. Reject self-righteousness. And I think in verse 17 is where Paul is essentially saying, I've got nothing left to tell you. Just look at my marks. Just look at my hands. Remember my feet, remember my back, the the marks of suffering and pain that I have suffered. From stones and whips, from chains and ropes and imprisonments, from rejection and suffering. What do the marks tell you? Well, they tell you that Jesus is worth every sacrifice. Paul is saying, "Do do you know what I've gone through And I'd do it again. It was all worth it. He has found Christ. And even with his his bloodied hands, he will hold on to him and he will not let him go. What marks do you have, Christian? 
What sacrifices have you made? What are the, the pains you've undergone, the things you've given up? Whether they're few or they're many, and I, I know that in this room there are many, you know this truth well, that those sacrifices are worth it, aren't they? That you would do them all again. That those things we've given up are worth nothing compared to the blessing and joy of having Christ as our Savior. Well, I think it would be appropriate to say, as our conclusion tonight, why don't we make one more sacrifice? Why don't we give one more thing up? Let's give up our self-boasting. Let's forget about ourselves. Let's put ourselves aside and, and all that we are and all that we do. Let's admit that we are weak and frail and needy creatures. And let's sing of only one, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he's precious. Only he is strong to save. And only he is our boast. So as we sing our final hymn tonight, I don't want you to just sing, but boast in your Savior. Let's pray.